0: hello again and welcome to another episode of a thousand and one by one where each week we take a film out of the book a thousand and one movies you must see before you die discuss it analyze it and ultimately decide whether or not it should be in the book my name is adam saint john and my name is ian whittington uh, and before we get to our uh, Patreon pick this week, which is uh, "Woman on the Verge of a Nervous Breakdown" uh, by Pedro Almodovar, um, we'll give you some uh, some chit chat, some recommends. Um, Ian, I wanted to let you know because our uh, 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 people who listen to our show and kind of follow us know that we just dumped a whole bunch of uh, older episodes back on the feed, which um, I didn't I didn't realize were not on the feed, so now they are. And I wanted to I was just kind of poking through them. And I, I listened to maybe about the first 30-ish minutes of our Bringing Up Baby episode. And I think that was the episode where I stopped saying, because in the intro, I used to say from The Wonderful Book, 1001 Movies You Must See Before You Die. And I took out Wonderful because, yeah. because I think after that movie, I'm like, this book is not wonderful. There are a lot of shitty films in this book. And I'm going to stop saying that it's a wonderful book. And it just tickled me.
1: And I think we were also it was around the time we were very pissed off about Magnolia coming out.
0: That's also true. That's a yeah. fair point. Yeah. Yep. Still so anyways,
1: still really hurt about that.
0: Yeah, that sucks. That sucks. Um but uh uh but you know that it it happens and and we are we're here where we are um where we're, we're going to talk about movies. I need to follow up with you on something. Oh, do it. Um because Monday became family movie night oh you did the mitchells we watched the mitchells versus the machines and it's holy shit good right it is amazing yeah it's really Um, good it's and it's you know it's it's fast and frenetic and there's a lot of like physical comedy stuff that i think i mean adults and kids alike will enjoy but also i think there's just enough kid stuff like it's just funny enough that that like stella enjoyed the hell out of it and obviously there's she is just kind of getting into having her own YouTube channels of things that she enjoys to watch. And so I think she got a lot of that. Um, But then like, you know, it's a father daughter story. I mean, how is it not, how is it not going to, you know, tug at my heartstrings in particular? Like it totally, it totally got to me and it's, it's funny and touching and it it has all the right, you know, it ticks all the right boxes and man. Yeah. And then I, I was still a bit apprehensive about the length of it, but it is a very enjoyable film. I mean, hands down, one of the better animated films I've seen in a long time. I, when I was going down the voice cast,
1: when we were talking about it, I forgot Conan O'Brien. Conan O'Brien has a really small role as one of the robots giving the, um, the, the, the this is how we're going to launch all of you into space. He's like the tour yeah. guide robot. Kind of. It's really like the voice cast on
0: that just absolutely nails it. Oh yeah. It's, it's, it's huge. And, and, uh, yeah, everybody, everybody is just so great in it. I, 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 I in another week I, I think this would have been my recommend. I mean I I mean, I strongly recommend it. So it's not that it's that it's not my recommend, but you, you watched it last week, you mentioned it, and then we followed up and yeah, I this has a solid thousand and one by one recommend. For any of you out there <laughs> looking for a good animated film, this is it. And and it it, it continues it's movies like this that that animated films need to be taken more seriously they're not cartoons they're not just for kids like between like stuff like this and and soul and um uh spider-man into the spider-verse like there's so much more than just like quote cartoons there's some awesome stuff happening in them and i i just animation is on the uptick i'm really enjoying what i'm seeing I just
1: I'm really hopeful that because it's come on the the tails of one Oscar season that when we come round to the next one this one isn't gonna get
0: forgotten about. I hope so too. I hope so too. I now I, I I have a feeling Netflix will do a big push for this one because it's a lot of people are talking about it. I mean, and for I think for good reason because it's amazing.
1: Well, I have a I have a follow up for you as well. Uh, those those who wish me dead. We were talking a little <laughs> bit about that and. Um, like low tide or recommend you had way, 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 way back. I think you kind of undersold this one to me as oh. well, man. I, oh. I really dug it. I'm still with you though. i like you had mentioned that in those four big Taylor Sheridan scripts, this one is probably fourth. Yeah. And yeah, I think so too, but I, I still really, really dug it. Like, uh, Aidan Gillen and Nicholas Holt just Knocked it out of the park as those two villains, man. They were hands down the best thing in it.
0: Yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm gonna steal this, but that's you know, hacks borrow, geniuses steal. So I'm just gonna say, but I, I was, I was listening to a pod about it, and um, I think the weakest part of the movie was Angelina Jolie. Oh yeah,
1: even, I think the kid was acting circles around her.
0: And and it's it's tough because I, you know, I get that the movie it's is, is well I. Is the movie meant to revolve around her or is it just her, she's front and center because she's Angelina Jolie? Like I mean and what I mean by front and center is in terms of like commercially like when you see billboards for it it's her face with like flames behind her, right? Like that's that's the PR. That's it's it's Angelina Jolie and yes, she's important but I is it? I don't know. Like I wanted, like I wanted more. I wanted more of the assassins. I wanted more uh, John Bernthal and his wife. And uh, I think we got too much Angelina. Yeah. I, I, I was
1: almost gonna say this movie would have been. I think it's. I think it's better if they took the Mad Max Fury Road approach and like sort of just all the, except for the first one and all the Mad Maxes. He's a supporting player in his own story. Like he's the one that that sort of drives things along, but he's not always the central focus and that it it would have been a little better if it's the if if it had taken that stance i think yes yes she is the lead
0: but she's also not the most important part of this story question is this movie better if she doesn't have a tragic backstory
1: yes a hundred (laughs) percent hundred percent because it's like oh you would being a little bit spoilery here you didn't get to save those kids, so here is another kid that you do have the potential to save. I don't think I'm being overly spoilery there. I no, think it's, they no. they bring that up, you know, kind of towards the beginning and she's got her death wish looking. You know, that was also kinda not totally ham fisted, but there was a better way to do her whole death wish, don't give a shit kind of thing. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I agree. Also I, mean, I don't
1: know. I don't think she's the right choice. I think her And uh, Amy Adams, I also watched The Woman in the Window the same day. Super glad I did that one first, because that is hot garbage. I heard that was not good. Yeah, okay. If if her and Angelina Jolie had, like, switched roles, I think think that would have served both movies equally as well. And all of this, Amy Adams has done two poor ones in a row. I saw it on Twitter last week, people up in arms, that Amy Adams had done two piss-poor movies in a row, and, oh, she needs a new agent, and, oh, is her career in a downturn. Everybody makes a lemon. Sometimes yeah. people make two in a row, and when you're an actor, you don't always have a lot of control over that. So let's calm the fuck down, shall we? Amy Adams well, is like not even halfway through her career, and if you remember five years ago, Nocturnal
0: Animals and Arrival back to back. So let's let's just calm down. Well, and I and she's she's on that short list of people with like five or six nominations and no win. Like she's and she's like when her in her forties, like in her early forties, like she yeah. is. She, (laughs) yeah. Uh, Now, now here's the thing too. Like, as much as I, I I think I could safely say we didn't like Hillbilly Elegy. um, The appeal of that movie—it's a bestseller directed by Ron Howard. Like, yeah, sure, sign me up. And and I get from her standpoint too. Look at the kind of character I'm playing. I get it. I mean, did was it uh, critically successful? No, but it. But there that was. But if you go, there's there is a certain republican um audience who pop, who who did love that movie and uh really took a shine to it so uh it, it's one person's success is another person's failure you know uh you, you win some you lose some. i don't know yeah absolutely <laughs> any
1: other banter you want to hit us with before we go into to recommend we well i'm so more?
0: glad that you brought up um those who who wish me dead um and i i 'Cause that would that was gonna be the other one that I that I did. So I'm I'm good. I, I'm I'm ready to move on right. to recommendations. All right. Uh let's let's do it. I uh I think I think
1: I went first. Oh no, I, I let us in last time, so if you don't mind, I'll go first this time. Is that cool? Let's do it. Let's do it. Uh so I have uh something a little newer. And when I say a little newer, uh, it had been in development for a while. Uh they announced it back in twenty fifteen didn't start shooting until 2017. It had its premiere at Tribeca in 2019 and finally hit video on demand last week. Uh, Christoph Waltz, big directorial debut. He's done a couple of TV movies, but this is like the big theatrical, or was, I guess was supposed to be the big theatrical debut, but obviously now it's gone straight to video on demand is Georgetown. Uh, starring him, starring Vanessa Redgrave and Benning. Bening, uh, he plays this guy Ulrich Mott, who's a very shady German character uh, who's a, a ambitious social climber, and he's looking to get in with all of the DC elites. He ends up marrying a woman several decades older than him, the the Vanessa Redgrave character, who is a, a renowned author and socialite herself, and he sort of uses her social standing to create this eminent persons group and he gets all kinds of people like the former french prime minister and robert mcnamara involved but really i mean he's he's a con man and his uh his his uh vanessa redgrave's daughter is played by annette benning and she's very suspicious of him rightly so it's based on a true story it's actually based on an article from the New York Times with a great name, The Worst Marriage in Georgetown. And I don't want to be too spoilery, because it is just, like I said, it's been video on demand for like a week at this point. Yeah. Uh, but it's, it's a, I saw somebody call it a, a modest film that people like to claim aren't made anymore, and that's exactly right. I mean, it is a very modest directorial debut, a very interesting choice, I think, for Christoph Waltz. I think he's fantastic in it. I don't know that this is necessarily the one to have attached his name to as director. But, I mean, I was, I was intrigued enough and interested enough, but I don't think anybody's going to be surprised by the ending, whether you know the true story or not. But it does, yeah. have, does have some interesting twists. I love a story about delusions of grandeur, social climbers and things like that, and it's got some really biting, witty dialogue. So it comes with a, not my, my biggest of recommends, but if you've got time, you want to spend six or seven bucks rentsing it, I think it's, I think it's at least worth that.
0: Nice. Yeah. I, I mean, yeah, I, 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 I'd be interested to see it because I feel like sometimes the idea of uh, actors turning directors is I, I can't tell if it's because there's a genuine um, interest in it and, and a, a, a different artistic muscle that they want to flex or if it's just I'm bored. I Let's just do it. And, and I'm not saying that that's what this is because I have no idea. But sometimes I, I feel like there are those. Oh, oh, and now this person's directing and it's like, really? Why? Do do you really need to be doing this right now?
1: I I think I think you might have more of that vibe about it. Like I said, I I don't know exactly if it was the right thing to to attach his name to as his first oh, and, Hollywood picture, but Yeah. It, it, there's nothing grandiose about the way it shot. There's nothing that's going to bowl you over about the way the story's told or the way it's shot. There's a couple of interesting shots in it and a, a couple of playful things he does, but nothing that's going to nothing that's overly memorable. Like I said, it's it's a it's a, a solid 50 to 60% recommend from me.
0: Awesome. Cool. Georgetown. Christoph Waltz. Um, Love so, me some Christoph Waltz, man. I know. How could you not? So uh, so last week we talked about Secrets and Lies, uh, which we, I think, mentioned that it was, uh, you know, whether we got the exact day or whatever, right? You know, we're, we're basically in the 25th anniversary of it, which means it came out in 96. And you... On mic and off mic, tell me how much you've been enjoying some of these classic '90s movies. And I, I can't say that I've been living in the '90s lately. And I, um, a movie came back onto my my uh, my radar, and uh, I watched it last night. And I, I gotta say, man, I I think I mean I know people know it, but I think I think I'd like to give my recommend to a nice little, a nice little uh, legal thriller from 1996 called Primal Fear. Ooh. That is my that is my recommend this That's week. a
1: good one, man. That's a really good one.
0: So for anybody who doesn't uh, know Primal Fear, this stars uh, Richard Gere. He's a hotshot attorney uh, in Chicago, and um, uh, Edward Norton plays a guy named Aaron Stampler, who was found uh, in bloody clothes after um, a bishop or a cardinal or somebody, a, a priest, a Catholic priest in uh, the area has been found murdered and uh aaron stampler has been convicted and he's basically he's going to be put on trial um and what we come to find out through uh some investigation and through some work with francis mcdormand is that she and she and gear believe that he is actually suffering from uh uh, disassociative identity disorder that he has he has a separate personality who they believe has committed uh a crime um laura Linney plays uh the prosecuting attorney and also richard gears ex. Um, lover for a short period of time. Um, great supporting cast. more Tyranny is in it. John Mahoney is in it. Uh, Stephen Bauer is in it. And it's great the way that they sort of, you know, uh, you know, um, they put a lot into it. It's not just about this one court case. There's some things in the, in the Bishop's life that comes out that sort of plays into it as well. There's some bad development deals, sort of combining the Stephen Bauer character and John Mahoney's character. And, um, yeah, and I, I I like a good legal thriller, and there are times where it feels like where it's like Richard Gere is a bit too smarmy, and Laura Linney is a bit too shouty in the courtroom. But it's like, yeah, but it's a movie, and you just you buy them as these lawyers, and the way that it goes about, and 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 I forget how great the twist is, and I I know the movie's twenty five years old, but I I won't spoil it, but. There's a really, there's a really great twist at the end of this movie, and again, I feel I'm I'm on a uh, a kick here of movies that just kind of leave you with a gut punch at the end because the twist happens and then the movie is pretty much over and you're like, oh wow, um, but solid solid 90s flick, and this was uh, Norton's first I think first feature, uh, pretty much fresh out of Yale School of Drama and got a, got an Academy Award nomination for it, and he's great in it. I mean, the whole fucking cast is great.
1: He had a busy year. He also worked with Woody Allen, and uh, Milos Forman that year yep. when he did "Everyone Says I Love You" and uh, "The People vs. Larry Flint." I think they're three great performances. I mean, he really set the bar high for himself right out of the gate. And it's also—I think—it's a really good Laura Linney performance.
0: I, I, I don't know if it is. I'm still like I—I I watched it last night, and I can't tell if she's doing a bit too much. Um, I,
1: yeah. But I, I I love the stuff where she's egging him on in the courtroom and trying to get him to explode. I think that's really great stuff.
0: I I I am still trying. Like the way here's the thing: the way that you thought of Brenda Blethyn's performance last week at Secrets and Lies is kind of where I'm at with Laura Linney. Like oh, she is just like, nowhere near. She's that going big. so yes, yes it is though. <laughs> like she's at the court. Like I am tired and I want to go home and I want to wash myself of this whole thing. And it's like wow, Laura Linney is just she. I think she smelled an Oscar nomination. It was probably a little bum when she didn't get it.
1: I'm sure everybody was surprised when Edward Norton got the numb. <laughs> and um, I'm a, I'm a sucker for Richard Gere. I think I think he's great in it too. I really, I, I grew up watching Richard Gere movies thanks to my mom because she's head over heels in love with him. I did hey, I oh. did try to show her this one. Yeah. Not impressed. Like, oh really? Not even not even remotely. <laughs> Yeah, I like not her type of film. She would she would rather put Pretty Woman on for probably the 80th time. Well, you
0: know he swears a lot in this one. He says that, that was her like 40. Yeah. yeah, he's that, like,
1: that was her big deal. Yeah, yeah. Does he have to swear so
0: much? <laughs> yeah, and, and apparently the answer is yes. Yes, yes he I, does. Yes, he does. Yeah. Um. So yeah, there you go. That's my. I finally get to recommend a 90s movie. Uh, and it's it's Primal Fear.
1: Well, you got to keep your 90s courtroom drama thing going you got to pop in a uh, time to kill that it that is one that i have not seen you oh you oh dude it's I've never um, seen a time to kill it's interesting i mean it's it's a bit long but the cast will blow you away and that, the the ending is i think it earns it's very saccharine ending okay all right uh and you, well, and you get there... two sutherlands for the price of one
0: yeah Yep. Uh, so, so there you have it. We got a, like a new, new movie with Georgetown and a, uh, a 25-year-old film with Primal Fear. Those are our our recommends this week. Um, but now we're going to pivot. We're going to pivot back to 1988 um, to Jorge Campos's Patreon pick uh, this week, which is Women on the Verge of a Nervous Breakdown, directed by Pedro Almodovar. Uh, he has one other film in the book that is all about my mother. I tried to watch that this week, and I just didn't have the time.
1: Well, I I went on a big Moldavar kick, so Talk to Her used to be in the book as well. It was in uh, the one two editions back, so I watched Talk to Her. Absolutely fabulous movie. Talk to Her is phenomenally good. Um, I also what? watched Volver, which I think you did too. Uh-huh. We should probably do a little bit of... Did you like Volver?
0: Did it do it for you? I, I believe it's Volver. Oh, excuse me. Volver. Um, um... I I okay so I I want to I almost want to save my thoughts on Volver because I'm because I, the way that I think about that movie and compared to this one I, I have some I have thoughts. Okay, have we'll, thoughts. we'll
1: come back to Volver. Uh, yeah. I also did uh Bad Education. Uh one of his NC17 films starring uh Gael Garcia Burnell. It's really interesting. That's almost like a a a Spanish Mulholland Drive. Not oh. quite as not quite as Lynchian and crazy, but And then I also did uh, his first film, or at least his first film that wasn't shot on 16mm, the Peppy Lucy, Bomb, and Other Girls Like Mom. It's on HBO Max. I don't know if you got rounds of it. I did did prompt you to. Uh, That is a batshit fucking nuts movie.
0: Yeah. Um, I think I had... Well, (laughs) I I don't want to play my hand yet, so... uh, No. No, I did not watch that movie. All right. Um, So our cast, uh, we have... Uh, Carmen Mara who plays Peppa. she is kind of our uh, our, our lead of the movie I would say. Um, okay now I have I have uh, character descriptions here too because this movie is definitely playing at farce. So I think it's important to know who the people are in relation to each other so absolutely. Um, we have Fernando Guillen, who plays Yvonne that is Peppa's former lover uh, and they like recently just kind of parted ways. Antonio Banderas, who plays Carlos, that is Yvonne's son. Uh, Julieta Serrano, who plays Lucia, that is Yvonne's estranged wife and Carlos's mom. We have Maria Barranco, who plays Candela, that is Pepper's fr- Pe- Pepper, sorry, Peppa's friend. And also, I will hear a lover of Shiites because apparently. That's a thing that happens in the movie. That, that's what she does. <laughs> yep. Uh, we have Rossi De Palma, who plays Marissa. That is Carlos's fiance. We have uh, Kinney uh, Monver, who plays Paulina. She is the feminist lawyer and current lover of Yvonne. And then the, the I have two other names that I'm only going to say the one and see if you say. It. I have Guillermo Montesinos as the taxi driver. That's, Anybody yeah, else? Man.
1: No, that's uh, oh the only other one that I would call out, uh, and f- my pronunciation here I'm sure is going to be terrible. The Jehovah's Witness landlady, yeah, I... downstairs, uh, Shuz <laughs> yep. Shuz uh, Lampreve. Yeah, I saw that. That, that yeah. was the
0: other name. That was the other name.
1: She might have
0: the funniest line in the movie. Uh, yeah, <laughs> we'll, we'll we'll save it. We'll save that. Um, so in terms of accolades, uh, the the Academy Awards, the Golden Globes, and the Baftas. Um, all nominated this for Best Foreign Film. Um, I know at the Academy Awards, it lost that to Pell the Conqueror, which uh, starred uh, Max von Sydow. Um, the National Board of Review, however, gave it Best Foreign Film of the Year. And it was, it was something of a festival darling. It definitely was played at a lot of festivals.
1: Uh, yeah, Venice did really well. Actress screenplay. Uh, It did lose the Golden Lion. And then at the Spanish Oscars, the the Goyas, as they're called, it did really, really well. Uh, 16 nominations total, won five of those, actress, supporting actress, screenplay, editing, and film.
0: Yeah. Um, uh, This movie is not currently on the IMDb Top 250. Uh, It has a 90% critical and an 89% audience score on Rotten Tomatoes. Uh, Did you pull any critical thoughts that you wanted to share?
1: Uh, I did. I have uh, David Parkinson from Empire. He gave it a four-star review. He said, A Moldavar's first mainstream hit was loosely based on Jean Cocteau's 1930 play, although it has also borrowed liberally from the works of Spanish dramatists. Traces of George Cukor, Douglas Sirk, Nicholas Ray, and Alfred Hitchcock are also readily evident in this gleeful melee of attitudes and styles whose audacity and vibrancy owes as much to a lingering sense of post-Franco exhilaration as to the couldn't care less posture of Pasota generation that informed El Maldivar's earlier features, including his debut. So I I thought that was that was nice to to throw out. That's a, a lot of great comparisons there.
0: Yeah, well and and uh so I went and I, I don't I don't have the Criterion, although this is available on the Criterion collection. Um, I read the um, the essay that would have come with that. It's available online uh, from Elvira Lindo. And I just, I, I, I'm going to combine a, two, two sentences here because I just kind of want to read them in succession. Um, uh, she says, This time, Almodovar chose to make a film that drew on a different tradition, an American one, screwball comedy, a genre that in the 1930s had captivated audiences hungry for movies offering an escape from the misery around them. In any event, as in all good comedy, his characters take their misfortune seriously and don't try to be funny, which enhances the comic effect. Uh, before we launch into plot, I have to start off the conversation with this. Is this movie funny? That that is my
1: That is my big question, too, in the comparison that I hinted at earlier before we started recording when we did the rules of the game. My question, I think, during that episode is how much is lost in translation? How much of this is is not necessarily funny to us just because we aren't as familiar with the culture and
0: the language? So so, um, OK, let's so let's I'm going to put a pin in it really quick. Just put a pin. How is this movie funny? And because that'll that'll keep coming back up. So let's let's quickly just well quickly. (laughs) I don't know if it'll be quickly, but let's talk a little bit about the plot. Um, So, uh. Peppa and Yvonne uh, uh, seemingly are uh, voiceover artists they seem to do uh, the the dubbing of films for uh, for Spanish audiences so that's like their jobs uh, how is that important to the movie I don't think it is but that's just sort of who they are um, they were former lovers and clearly Yvonne is is trying to move out of the apartment and Peppa is not taking it so well um, with you know crazy shenanigans follow and we'll talk about those as they come Um and then throughout all of this, um, Peppa is thinking about moving out of her apartment, which is how Carlos and um, his fiance, Marissa, end up at her place, thinking that they're going to rent it, uh, ultimately finding out that Carlos is Yvonne's son. And then her friend uh, Candela, who believes that she's going to get arrested because she knows of these Shiites who are going to hijack a plane, which hasn't aged well, mind you. Um, and, uh, and she thinks that she's going to get arrested for her involvement in that. And then uh carlos's mom lucia who was is kind of married to Avon, is like was in a mental institution i think uh because she was didn't didn't handle the break well and basically blames her son for the shitty life that she has and um and basically it's all like uh, who wants Avon, who's gonna get Avon, and ultimately it ends at an airport where we think lucia is gonna shoot her her husband and uh Peppa saves the day but doesn't need to be with Avon and she goes home and we find out that she's she's pregnant because let's throw one more thing into the pot. It's yeah, it's a lot. It, yeah. And and I left out like other bits, the the whole taxi driver thing and and all of that. Um
1: Yeah, we'll but, get we'll get into the meat of it, but this is this is the part of the show where I ask you Adam. Oh, yes. Do you love list? I I love lists. I love lists. Ah, let's hear it, man. Let's go. All right. Uh, I, again, I'm, I'm still, I'm waiting for a movie that's going to give me the op- opportunity to do an alternative list, but I'm going to stick with a basic one. Uh, okay. R- Ryan Latanzio from IndieWire in mm-hmm. October of 2019, he ranked his 10 favorite Amolta movies. Okay. So uh, we're just going to run down this list. I don't know how many Amolta you've seen. As I said, I've only seen five, so I maybe it'll, maybe it'll create some discussion if nothing else maybe this is a list just for jorge and he can tell us whether he agrees <laughs> with this top 10 or not
0: exactly i kind of that.
1: had him in mind i kind of had our, our patreon in mind when i when i chose this list and hope, hope for a little feedback maybe he can tell us if these are worthy of the top 10 or not i love it uh number 10 broken embraces from 2009 penelope cruz starring in that one okay uh number nine law of desire uh, came right before *Women on the Verge of a Nervous Breakdown*. This is 1987, and it's uh, Antonio Banderas in one of his very first leading roles. And it's a weird sort of love triangle with, with two men and a and a trans woman. And there's like this whole stalker. As I was reading about Amoldovar, stalkers are kind of like a reoccurring theme throughout his films. Sure. Uh, Number eight, Live Flesh from 1997 with uh, Javier Bardem playing a paraplegic cop who, again, his wife is being stalked. So, again, that that theme reoccurring there. Yeah. Uh, Number seven, Why We're Here, Women on the Verge of a Nervous Breakdown. Okay. Number six is in the Criterion Collection, Tie Me Up, Tie Me Down. Another Bandera's starring vehicle, again, about uh, a twisted relationship. He takes a former porn star hostage in the hopes that she will come around to being in love with him and marrying him oh that sounds fucking intense it's it sounds dark uh, apparently the next one number five is even darker than that uh from 1986 matador the uh the guy who created this list uh described it as a sick movie it's all about sex and death and perversion and bullfighters and everything in between it sounds like a lot uh, yep uh number four volvere as you said we'll come back around to talking about that one number three talk to her okay uh number two all about my mother and the reason why i watch bad education is because he stuck that at number one now of the five that i've seen i definitely would not call that my number one of the five that I'd, i'd seen i would probably rank that one as the fourth best that i watched this week so
0: so um you know, I, I I've I really did want to watch All About My Mother, um, and, and truth be told, I, I started it, but I could not. You know, a couple of weeks ago, we were praising HBO Max. Now I'm going to take a shot at HBO Max because trying to figure out how to get subtitles on in HBO Max was not as intuitive as somebody who's fairly good at that kind of shit is. I, it, it was a pain in the fucking ass to figure oh, that out.
1: See, I uh, didn't I yeah, I watched I watched Volver and, and Bad Education on HBO Max and the subtitles just auto popped for me. Yeah, mine
0: didn't mine didn't auto pop on. Oh, I'm sorry, bud. No, I I know. That's that's a side thing, but I could I didn't I didn't watch it because but I have I have heard really good things. I, I've heard it's a really personal movie, uh, for, for Almodovar. Um so um let's stick with Volver for a second, because I think what Volver does um, that this movie doesn't do is that Volver is, I would say, is not a comedy. Um, now, I wouldn't say it's just a drama either. Um, it's got some light moments in it. Yeah, but I think the... I, I laughed out loud at moments in Volver because of the like the earnestness in which things were being done. The problem that I have with a lot of women on the verge of a nervous breakdown is that all of the comedic bits are like standard lotsy comedic bits. Like... You, you see it happening a mile away and and it has nothing to do with, you know, you, you talked about things being lost in translation. I don't think that's true because I think Volver has funny moments. I think this one is trying very hard to be like a noises off kind of farce, like a, not mistaken identities, but like one person enters another person leaves. And like, now we've got all these people in the apartment and there's, there's a lot going on and we've got to convince everybody of something. And, and Oh, and the gazpacho was laced with sleeping pills. And it's just all like the jokes are like, so like we, I just, I felt very ahead of the movie the whole time. And even though this movie is only 88 minutes, we've talked about this. Like this was for me, this was a long 88 minutes. I, 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 I I just, oh man. Yeah. I had a hard and, time with this one.
1: And comparatively, most of his other films are pretty much two hours on the nose. I think talk to her is maybe two hours and 15 minutes or so. And yeah. compared to this, I didn't, I didn't feel a beat of talk to her. Didn't feel a beat of Volver. Uh, and as far as Volver is concerned, I mean, that might be career best Penelope Cruz performance.
0: Yeah. She's great. And, and um I want to get the name right here. Sorry. Uh, Carmen Mara, who plays her, her mother in that. Um, is, is I, I think she's great in it. I really, yeah. really like the cast a lot. Yeah, big, big
1: gap, because uh, she was she was in his first film. Uh, she, obviously, she's in Women of a Nervous Breakdown, and then they didn't work together again until 18 years later with Volvera, and I tried to find the reason why, and there's not a lot of information out there about it. It sounds like there may have been some
0: tension on the set of Women on the Verge, but... Yeah, the, the only thing that I saw was that uh, apparently she, she defined working on this movie uh, as a living hell interesting uh so and I'm guessing either because and that's the thing too is is this pep the peppa character is asked to do a lot I mean she I I, it does say women on the verge of a nervous breakdown and and I get why I get the grouping but this really is about a, a the woman a woman on the verge of a nervous breakdown and it is definitely her story and I think that she I think everybody is doing the best with what they have I just think that the I think the script is not as solid as as a lot of people make it out to be. Yeah, no, I think I
1: think she's great in it. Uh, I really like the the cab driver. I don't think he those three scenes that he has. I don't think he overstays his welcome. He's not. He's in a ridiculous situation in that decked out cab that's playing mambo music because mambo is what goes with his cab. I don't. I wasn't. I wasn't. Uh. <clears throat> it didn't. It didn't feel out of place to me. You know what I mean? I don't know how you felt about the cabbie.
0: I, because of the fairly ridiculous nature of the film, he fit right in. And like the bit of, you know, not having eye drops when she needed them and then ultimately having them later. Like, you know, I, I get it. I get that's, it. That was that's funny. A nice That's I, a nice callback. I dug that, that. Yeah. um, But, you know, I... I
1: the guy yeah. playing Yvonne, I thought was great too.
0: Yeah. yeah I mean, he, I, he plays sleazy pretty well. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and that's... I, I I did have some, like, issues with, like, this movie. I, like, I also, I didn't, it's tough because I didn't feel bad for anybody. And and I wonder, I wonder if, and again, like, these are hypothetical questions, but they're fun to ask. Like, if we know that Peppa is, is spoiler alert, pregnant from the beginning, d- do we sympathize with her more? Like, oh, look, at, look at all of this shit that she's having to deal with. And, like, and, and so at the end, and so instead of getting at the beginning and being, like, look at all this shit this, this newly pregnant woman is going through, we're, we're, I think it's, I think maybe, and maybe it's even funnier because we're, like, look look at what she's doing. Look at the, the lengths she's going to, to to solve all of these problems. But then when, it, when it's revealed at the end, I, I, I hold on, I want to scroll through because I want to see what I wrote down. I forget what it was. I, I said, and she's pregnant. Seems cheap. Like yeah. I just, I just, felt, yeah. it felt like an, another unnecessary thing that happens in the movie,
1: and well, it's a footnote, and also there's this weird. It's not quite a bait and switch, but it's a throwaway moment where we don't, we don't necessarily have to know that she's pregnant from the beginning. But there's, I took a note where I wrote that Carlos is a nosy bastard, like going through all of her shit. He finds the postcards, and then he finds uh, the the test results a doctor's test result. So it's like, yeah. why, why are we revealing the fact that we've seen the he's seen this if we're not going to do anything with it? Like, that's yeah. the moment. And that's like halfway through the movie. That's the moment where we could reveal that she's pregnant and he confronts her about it. Wait, you're carrying, you know, my half-brother or my half-sister or whatever. Yeah. I... It would have given Bandera something more to do other than fix a
0: telephone. Well, yeah, and then I... So maybe I guess we could talk a little bit about um, Carlos and uh, Candela as uh, as Marissa's passed out on the chair, like the way he just starts making out with her, like. And again, I feel like this is something that is meant to be comedic. But to me, I just was like, "Dude, no, I don't. I don't think that's cool, man." Well, it's like father like son,
1: isn't it? I think that was the note that I took at that moment that that is a that is an
0: excellent point yes yeah. the i mean apple I, not falling I, far from the tree
1: i love banderas as an actor i just i wish he had been given more to do in this movie
0: well and i you know in a and i i, I always like actors trying to, to stretch and play something different but like it's almost like you can't hide how charming and handsome antonio banderas is so why are we trying to make him seem I don't not that I I don't know like and and oh, and put, I don't yeah think... put
1: glasses on him and that'll that'll nerd <laughs> him up a bit <laughs>
0: yeah yeah fucking nerd you nerd I yeah I didn't quite yeah <laughs> it didn't it didn't really work for me necessarily but it's you know it it is
1: what it is yeah I don't know man oh. I'm I'm coming into this episode and I'm feeling bad about being mostly lukewarm towards one of our Patreons requests you know what I mean this is a movie where like the rules of the game I have opinions I just wish they were stronger opinions one way or the other I think it's I think it's really apt that you bring up in in that in that essay is that the the relation to screwball comedies and it it, it definitely it is it definitely is that but I also feel like a is trying to pack the kitchen sink in this film to its detriment like the end gets completely out of control it go. I think it goes beyond uh, uh, a screwball comedy. You have this weird chase scene. Yeah. Uh, where, where they're she, going,
0: what do you think? What do you think? Eight miles an hour? Yeah. Ten?
1: Yeah. And then there's the shot, like, I don't know. I was the, the only comparison, I know there's probably better ones, but the only comparison I could draw is when she sat on the back of the motorbike and it's that side profile of Carlos's mom and her hair whipping back in the wind. I'm like, are we, are we doing the Wicked Witch thing here? Is that is that what we're going for? Is that what we're doing? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, possibly.
0: Uh, and like, so there was a line. Oh yeah, so I think this happens. This happens before the cops show up, but but um, but Lucia has showed up at the apartment, and I and I forget who says it, but there's the line, "Men, what's more important?" And I feel like it's meant to be satirical, but it does. It's not delivered that way, and. And I and there's a lot of lines throughout this where I go, is our, is is this a joke, or is it serious, and like, I, I I truly don't know. I think that for for me that's that's kind of the issue with a lot of this stuff is I can't tell if it's a joke or if it's serious based on the idea that everybody if everybody is playing it fairly seriously nobody's leaning into the comedy, it's it's hard to know. Like I again like I feel like the uh lucia basically hijacking the the motorcycle getting the guy to drive because she has a gun like i get that that is supposed to be pretty funny and then it turns into this chase scene and i feel like i don't know i what you're you're so right like what's what's missing from her hijacking the bike and the same cab driver picking them up and chasing them that's not funny because it should be because We've we've set these things up. We've set up the cab driver and he's back again. And now he's chasing. He's following somebody again. And it's this ridiculous shootout with this woman in a pink dress and a gun. And yet I didn't find it funny at all. I was so baffled by it.
1: Yeah, if it's going for the screwball comedy thing, we need I think what we need is for somebody as you said to lean into the comedy. We need a Groucho Marx character like from the Marx Brothers kind of giving us the old wink-wink nudge-nudge thing or even like something we did recently. We did the Philadelphia story and help me out with the the uh, the character the 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 photographer that comes with uh, james stewart the one who's always got those those snide those great bits of snide dialogue we almost needed one of those somebody to like go off and like out of the side of their mouth kind of give us that sort of the, the the almost the running commentary you know what i mean
0: oh yeah absolutely um that's uh 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 the the ruth hussey character um, yeah yeah uh liz yeah elizabeth um yeah that would have been i mean yes yeah i i agree um and and in, in a way, I almost feel like that's meant. I feel like that's it. That they're almost trying to make Peppa that character, but it's you can't have the main character be that. Like I don't, no. I don't think it works that way.
1: No, no, because we have to, we have to be invested in them. It's their story, so now we need that side character to provide us with the snide jokes and the commentary. Well, it's something else that really kind of I don't know rubbed me the wrong way was the the Candelas attempted suicide scene and then when she changes her mind and then she slips and then they have to pull her back in like that that's just another that's just another beat that that is just tonally odd in a in a film that is uneven and tonally odd throughout
0: and and again another reason why i wanted i i you know volvere is kind of this running track through hand is that Volver is tonally all over the place, right? You've got this whole, like, is there is there a, uh, a, a the spirit of their mother living in this town, which sort of leans into this sort of, like, the the spiritual, supernatural kind of thing. You've got the seriousness of what happens to um, uh, Penelope Cruz's daughter in the movie and what happens with husband-father character, and I'll, I'll be vague there because people haven't seen it, but you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah. Um, but then, ultimately, her having to deal with the consequences of that event are are kind of funny because just of, of how she's having to deal with it and the earnestness of that and then and then I, I found i actually the way that it like the next day it's like oh yeah i'll cater your event i'm good I'll, yeah you you need how many people fed yeah you got it i was yeah, like yeah when there when just... there's
1: a body like
0: 20 feet over there yeah. yeah and and the whole story about i one of my favorite moments of volver so i don't, i swear to god we'll come back to this but where penelope cruz uh, starts to cry because she's at her sister's house and she swears that she can smell her mother's farts because they were so distinct. And the, and like and I, again I want to be vague, but like that was touching and funny. It was this really yeah, yeah. awkwardly great moment because it was all over the place, but it it there was a there was a singular focus and I I I don't know I I you know we we talk about uh, like you know especially with with filmmakers who have made a lot of movies and have like one or two in the book like I know we've discussed at length about I think uh, the Cohen brothers only have two films in the book and one of them is Raising Arizona which I just don't think is right and that just can't be right I have nothing against that movie but that cannot be one of them um, so you know I just wonder if there's something about um, when it came out or like if i mean what are, are are we missing it because we were only like we were just wee babies when this came out like what are we missing cuz i don't know if it's a i don't think it's a a cultural thing i don't think it's because it's in another language i just don't is there something that we're missing i i
1: don't think i think uh, i think your raising arizona comparison is is apt this is as far as comparing things that are in the books and early works of incredible auteurs yeah this is this is the spanish raising arizona right
0: uh, it's it really feels like it and and again i don't want to play my hands too early but given given some i, of the I think the that we,
1: educated listener could could guess that yeah, we're I, both kind
0: of leaning that way i would agree but considering <laughs> the things that i watched this week and and knowing all about my mother's reputation which i which is in the book but i just feel like this is a a, a pretty clear example of a movie that maybe maybe launched almodovar into the next realm of being a filmmaker which is always good and always important and again if if we were reading a book like the history of cinema and we were just going through like oh yeah this was look look at how important this movie was for pedro almodovar's career absolutely sure but one of the thousand and one movies that you must see before you die are we sure about that yeah, and again, no, like,
1: he's got 21, he's made 21 features. I've now seen five of them. And I can tell you that there are three others I'd put in the book before this one.
0: Yeah, and, and I'm, it's just, it's so, it's just, it's really interesting how, I mean, I, I have no idea why the people who, who make the book choose what they do. Obviously, it gives us something to talk about, which is great. But this, um, I, I, I'm trying to, and part of me is struggling, too, because, the, I I think the 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 book is criminally uh, not enough comedies in there, and I and 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 granted I have a, I I go a certain way with the comedies that I like, but I, there there probably should be more comedies in there, and I feel like this is this is kind of a comedy, and I I think I don't know help me out here I think maybe part of the thinking is that well we have all about my mother which again as from what I read about it and what I understand of it is a pretty serious movie and then so we've got it we've got to do something from the other end and we've got this yes this absolutely is a farcical screwball kind of movie i just don't think it's as screwball comedy as as people think or or right or, or, right I, and again i don't know if it's a generational divide or something but i just i just didn't think it was funny
1: well i i i would say that that's also apt as well you think about the the um The types of comedies that are in the book, and especially from this era, you have stuff like Caddyshack and and Naked Gun and um, Airplane. Yeah. It's like, it's comedies that have all, like, I get it. They were hilarious in their day, but they have not, most of those have not aged very well. Even one that I like and I think should be in the book, Animal House. But they are. there is this nostalgia factor, and we've got to think about probably the ages of the people that are putting this thing together and the critics that they're sourcing the information from. Yeah, they're, yeah. they're, they're a generation or two ahead of us. Yeah. So that makes sense that it would lean heavily that way.
0: Um, so uh, this movie, uh, so there, there are two small things I, I want to say. Uh, one is that did you see the sweatshirt that Marissa was wearing in the movie? Oh, the Saint John? Damn fucking right. Uh that that must be
1: a thing with the Moldavar, maybe a school that he went to, because I that's mentioned Saint John's is mentioned in bad education as well.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's my last name. Uh. <laughs> Woo! Uh, yeah, that was just fun to see. Um yeah. but uh so the other thing, um open ended question, but I guarantee you'll see where I'm going with this the way that I ask it. What do you think of those opening title credits? Yeah, I dig it. It's like oh, kind of. Oh, did you? A, I did not. That that pop sort of pop art
1: kind of. I, there's some cheesy ones in there, like the the editor one has a big old pair of scissors on it and stuff like that. Like I get it, but it, hey, he's he's very much influenced by, I think French filmmaking, and I know that he's cited Buñuel as a as a big influence
0: of his. So that I mean, it makes sense. I, I this movie this movie raised the question. Should we have opening credits uh
1: I don't know man i I guess it I guess it's sometimes I like a well I mean you, you think about like the big important stylish credit sequences like in a bond movie or mission impossible yeah. and with a movie like that yeah I kind of want like a lead in and they're part of cinematic history but yeah I don't know I don't know that every film needs opening credits
0: I just feel like if you can't if it's not done in any way that's gonna, I don't know. Like, figure it out. Figure it out, people. Because I didn't like this one, and and it was very slow. And I didn't. I don't think it really added anything to the story. I was thinking of um, like Goodfellas, right? Goodfellas starts. We got him in in the car, and then we get we get you know, as long as I can remember, I always wanted to be a gangster. Rags to Riches, Goodfellas goes across the screen, and then we're into the fucking movie. And like, the names kind of come in throughout, but like, I, you've got to find a way to either sprinkle them in over over like plot or like basic like establishing shots, or just put it at the end. Because if you're gonna take three to four minutes to do an opening credit sequence that really just doesn't do anything for your movie, oh, you're you're you just you're killing me. You're killing well, the me. the problem
1: is is that there is. There's people like Saul Bass and Alfred Hitchcock who set the bar so high with their films and everybody wants a piece of that action. Now, I, I will say that I don't think... These are indulgent credits. They're certainly not as indulgent as, say, Do the Right Thing, which just doesn't end.
0: Well, and, and even then, though, I feel like I, I get... I understand, you know, wanting to let that song play throughout. I Part of it's too, because uh, a couple nights ago we watched... <laughs> you, I you guarantee you know who picked this movie so we watched Insidious Chapter 2 okay and there's there's a, there's like a cold open and then there's like a three and a half minute credit sequence but the credit sequence is all like little little clips of things that happened in the first movie but we don't it's like we don't need that and I can't tell but it's like we just don't trust the audience enough to remember what happened or or what but it's like no no, we, we got all of... We know all of this. We we know everything. And then, like, the worst part was, like, a lot of that was rehashed in the movie. And it's like, but you already... Why did you allude to it in the credits? What are you yeah, do, no, what it's, doing? Yeah, no, it's it's
1: called Chapter 2. I mean, you think you wouldn't you wouldn't just open up a just, book and start it at right chapter in Chapter 2. Yeah. No, you would see the first one.
0: <laughs> I don't know. And that was a bit tan- tangential as well. But I just... I don't know. I, I There was a lot... And did you get any... Did you get, like... Any eight and a half vibes from the opening? Oh, absolutely. When he's, when the black and
1: white sequence where he's walking by, Ivan is walking by and he's saying, I love you to, to every woman who passes. I thought that was kind of fun and and clever and cheeky
0: but but uh, i mean yes i get it it's a blatant homage and it is fun but to what extent to what purpose it never comes back into play or is it just the illusion of like this is like the our guido of the film is that or this, this
1: is how this is how she must see him she perceives him to be and she is an actress so she must she she has a love of film and television so maybe she's a big fan of of uh why am I blanking on the name of the director from Eight Fellini. and a Half? Oh my God, Fellini! Thank you, Jesus Christ! I gotta turn in my cinephile card now no, or something. No, don't, don't. It's okay uh, to do that. So yeah, maybe that's just like how she's framing him. I don't know. I liked it. There were. I, I'm not gonna shit entirely all over this movie. I think. I think Muldivar has an astonishing eye. His framing is wonderful. His use of close-ups is fantastic. They're almost Edgar Wright like. Sure. Yeah. yeah, I I, I like the use of close-ups in it. I, I think his films, his films really pop. His use of color, even as far back as this in '88, is pretty incredible.
0: No, and and I I totally I, I get that too. I I I think uh, there's a there's a vibrancy even in some of the his darker movies and darker moments that you know the 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 subject or the material at that time might be dark, but it's it, it'll be in a brightly lit room with with lots of colors. Yeah, yeah that's yeah. absolutely even.
1: True even when Talk to Her was in the book, and I really like Talk to Her, so I'm not shitting on that, it does have some very challenging stuff in it, but based on the two and formerly three of his that used to be in the book, I would say that the softer options are in there. I mean, I, I ran down that list of the top ten with you, and there sounds like there is some dark, deep-seated, nasty shit in there, and I'm not saying that that's all that has to be in the book, but I feel like there should there should be some more challenging things in the book. I mean, the The Cook, The Thief her wife, uh, his wife and her lover is in there. Yeah. And there's, there's not, that's a very unique film. There aren't a lot of other films in the book quite as, as piercing and as challenging
0: as that. Well, and, and that's the, that's the thing too. And I feel like, again, if we, if we want to be literal about the book, right? A thousand and one movies you must see before you die, right? Take something like, I don't know. um, What's it, what's a decent comedy? Like not, over the top, but just like, yeah, that was funny. Oh, that's
1: that's in the book.
0: No, no, just in general, just in general. Oh, I don't know,
1: like we've talked about Hangover and how we think the first one should be in there.
0: Great. Well, and but and I can even now that was kind of a catty thing too. But like, yeah, I like Hangover is a great example, right? Could it be in the book? Sure. Do you have to see it before you die? No, probably not. Probably not. But then you think of something like that's that's intense, like. Like something like, like, like an I. Daniel Blake, which is dramatic, or something like Cronenberg's Crash, or like something something that was really going to challenge you and make you go, whoa, what, like, wow. Like what, some of those, like, one and done's where it's like y- you may never want to watch this movie again. Isn't that kind of the point, though? But you saw it and maybe it instilled something in you, or you learned something, or there was something about it that just was like, I, I don't know, gripping in one way. And, and, uh, it, the book does feel very safe. And and yeah, if you just look at how many films from the 30s, 40s and 50s are in there, y- you'll know exactly what we're talking about.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I would say even even based on the description of something like live Flesh or matador, I would say, hey, maybe put those in there. Maybe put something that's going to really force you to go to some places you may not want to go. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, I think we're are we I, I, I feel don't, like we're we're you, kind of beating around the bush. It's a little bit of a shorter episode, but do you
0: do you have a favorite scene or shot?
1: Oh, there's there's the question of the hour. I do like the shot very early in the movie where we get to the studio and we're establishing her job, where we come in through the projector room and we look down through the little glass window at the recording booth. I think that's quite good. And as I said, the use of use of close ups when she faints. And the camera is looking through her glasses at her. I think that's quite good too.
0: I I thought the scene between uh, Peppa and the lawyer at her office was pretty funny. I mean, that was about the most ridiculous and over the top thing that that worked for me was just watching like how amped up that got and. It's like, I didn't quite understand why she, I mean, I know why she was there. I'm not, I'm not being an idiot, but like, I don't, but I don't know why she's there. Like, there's no real reason for her to have gone in the middle of all this other shit to go visit this lawyer, but she does. I thought that was kind of funny. Um, It's it's a lot
1: of coincidences building on top of each other. There is a great slap in that scene. And while we're talking about them together, the amount of shit that these people throw through their windows indiscriminately. Is is pretty insane, and that's a that's a hell of a hell of a shot with that vinyl record that she pegs her in the back of the head
0: that, with. See, that's one of those moments though where I was like, oh, God, I already know yeah. where this is going." Yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly.
0: Um, do you, Do you have an unsung hero?
1: The the Jehovah's Witness landlady. Okay. For her right. one line where she says, "I I'd, I'd love to lie, I I'd, I'd really want to lie, but my
0: religion, you know." So I went way I went way outside of the box on this one. Do it. So so my unsung hero is Juan Carlos Garrido who was the location manager of the film. Wow, because, that is that is really below the line. But I really liked this idea. It like there there are New York movies that feel like they're New York movies because you can see like the Empire State Building or the Statue of Liberty or like Central Park. But then there are New York movies where it's like Oh no, this feels like New York, right? There's just like a a vibe to it. And like it's like the neighborhoods, it's it's the boroughs. It's not the big part of the city. So I know this is Madrid, but I didn't feel like it was like I mean, there were parts of that Dan- like I really I feel like I got a real good tour of of the city. I feel like I got to actually see a lot of it. I like the apartment, the idea of that kind of a ritzier loftier place. She's got a big balcony where she could fucking have livestock and stuff. Like I really liked the spaces that were used and i i thought that was like i I thought madrid was a a great kind of unsung character in it as well but i figured like i don't know i'm gonna give it to one person and i'm gonna give it to this guy juan Uh, carlos guardido you are my unsung hero that's cool
1: yeah you know i kind of we didn't bring this up in the inner episode but i also felt that way about barcelona in in beautiful you mean that 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 movie that's just
0: torture porn yeah yeah that one that movie that we both absolutely fucking loved (laughs) yeah (laughs) anyway sorry that was anyways um yeah i i i think think, you think that's it i think we're there
1: yeah sorry it's a it's a shorter one but that yeah it's okay we can we don't have to go an hour and 40 every time
0: but but also i feel but we're not i don't i don't I will say that I'm not quite done with Almodovar. So no, let me... we've got
1: we've got some Almodovar talk in front of us.
0: So so, Ian, do you think that women on the verge of a nervous breakdown should be in the book? No, I don't. Okay, what do, do you ha- do? You have a replacement in mind? I do.
1: Uh, as I mentioned, talk to her used to be in the book. I would put that straight back in.
0: Well then, we are uh, we are uh, simpatico there, my friend, because uh, talk to her should absolutely replace this in the book. It
1: is it is a masterpiece, and honestly, there used to be three a Mulder, so why can't Volver, Volver, excuse me, be in there too? Yeah, I, I'd be happy to see both of them in there. As I said, I think Penelope Cruz's performance in that is
0: stunning. We so we we haven't really talked about what talk to her, we haven't really talked about what talk to her is about. Do um, it. So, uh, talk to her is and and, and one thing I sh- I will say actually about all of these movies, um, and, and I haven't seen as many as you have, but I think one thing Almodovar likes is the idea of of people who may or may not know each other being forced together, being like, you are now your lives are now intertwined, and and, um, we open with a wonderful wonderful clip of of a, a Pina Bausch dance piece, which if you if you haven't seen any Pina Bausch stuff do it there's a great criterion on pina um and there's lots of clips of her work she's so you have you seen the pina documentary i haven't oh fuck man it is wonderful her her style her choreography her her, her dance is just amazing but anyway that's the those are the dance pieces that uh, at the beginning and at the end that you see um anyways though um uh, are there we have a, a journalist guy and a nurse and they're sitting next to each other and and we, they don't know that their lives are going to be inexplicably linked from this point on but basically we have a journalist guy who um, decides that he wants to write a piece about this female matador and they ultimately end up dating and uh, one one uh, there's a moment where she's in the, the bullfighting ring and uh, a bull gets her and she goes into a coma. Uh, which is how uh, the nurse that he was sitting next to comes back into his life because he is a nurse dealing with a coma patient at the same hospital and they start to find out more about each other. We find out that the the male nurse taking care of this other um, uh, patient who's in a coma lives across the street from the stand studio. He actually knows her. He basically is in love with her um, and uh, circumstances arise in which she is now in the coma and now he's taking care of her. And then I, I'm gonna I have to be vague here because I don't want to spoil this movie uh, because something happens and it things as we've kind of we've kind of hinted at, things take a really dark turn and um we, I think well can we I think can we safely say that the the nurse goes he, he ends up in jail and uh the journalist has to kind of the journalist is basically his only friend uh throughout these these kind of tough times and I don't know it is such a unique personal interesting film about about not the not the greatest people in the world and yet you are fascinated with watching what they do and why they do it and and again not not everything they do is right and and they are they are troubled protagonists but it's a fucking it's just a really interesting movie
1: so i mentioned in just a moment ago in our our in ranking episode you know talk to her was everything i wanted 21 grams to be sure yeah Yeah, that was that was like the comparison this is a more concise uh much more i think unique a better performed uh, just a more engaging 21 grams and it's it also has a bit of the use of of you know Cutting back and forwards in time, but it's it's when it's done, it's not done arbitrarily. It's done with a points and a purpose.
0: And and Almodovar still gets to be quirky and unique with the the silent film within the movie, the the Shrinking Man.
1: Yeah, that's uh, that's something else.
0: That is a that is a weird little moment, and it's not and it's not bad. But it's like Almodovar still gets to kind of flex that weird quirky muscle of his within the movie. Um, and I think I think I think that our two leads are incredible i think they are incredible um yeah, and absolutely. what a like a. and i usually i usually hate i feel like moments of music within movies rarely work we're like we have to listen to music that our our pe the people in the movie are listening to but that moment between our journalist and the bullfighter when they're listening to that guy sing on like the patio, it's like a small party or something. Like I was enraptured by that guy singing. I just, I was just so, I'm so into that moment. And I, here's the thing. I wanted to hate talk to her because you know me and you know that I love best original screenplay. And I was just like, I don't know. I was offended that this movie won when I was like 17 years old. I was like, no, not this movie. And I'd never seen it, of course. And then I, I finally watched it and it just, it shut me right the fuck up. And and what what was it? What was it up against? Um, so I think that was uh, so one of them was my big fat Greek wedding, which ah, no, nah, not ooh. good. Not um, good. I I think Gangs of New York actually had an original screenplay um, nomination, Far from Heaven, and I uh, I think Itumama Tambayin was also nominated for okay. original screenplay right. that year, which I also really fucking like. That movie yeah. is also good. Um, yeah, I'd it. say talk.
1: I'd say talk to her is the clear winner there.
0: And and now again now now that I know this right now that I've like seen it, and actually now I've seen it three times because I that movie is just it's so good. Well, and thank so,
1: you for pushing me to to watch it this week.
0: You are very welcome. I wasn't sure if I'd get a chance to rewatch it, um, just because I I know I'd seen it and I based on my feelings of women on the verge of a nervous breakdown, this was probably always going to be my my replacement. And yes, just kind of how we talked about uh, last week with Mike Lee. And even, you know, like some of these directors we've been talking about, as as we've been trying to make a concerted effort to do directors we haven't done before on the show, my my Mike Lee familiarity is not as high as I would like it to be. And that same thing goes with Pedro Almodovar. Now, I've seen a few of his films, which is better than just saying I've only seen this one. And I'm sure I will like some of his others and not some of them as well. But Talk to Her is so worthy of being in the book. And I I think they took. Out the wrong one whenever they know. Oh, absolutely. Page. Yeah.
1: Well, and now he's, I forgot to mention in the, in the meets of the show, he's gone back and he's taken a look at this story, this play, the Jean Cocteau play again. He's done a 30 minute short based, I think more directly on the play, The Human Voice. So, I mean, it's, it's obviously a, a subject that he's, he's passionate about. And I'm, I am actually, I wish I had had the time to do it. I'm curious to know if the, if the 30 minute short improves upon anything that he was you know, trying to say in Women on the Verge. And again, another shout out for HBO Max. If you're an HBO Max subscriber, uh, there are at least 10 of his films on there. So if you're a Moldavar fan and you need to either see these things for the first time or revisit them, you're absolutely going to get your money's worth. I'm definitely curious to go back and see some of these other darker films. I don't think Matador is on there, but Tie Me Up, Time Me Down is.
0: Yeah, that I, I'm going to say of, of the ones you mentioned, that one intrigued me the most, I think.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Matador sounds, I mean, when anybody describes something as a sick movie, I mean, that kind of the, the little, little light goes off in your brain and go, well, I've I've got to see this if for nothing else to judge what your level of sick is versus mine and discover if I am really that fucked up person. I think I am.
0: I do that too. That's a, that's great. That's great. Um, well, so, so there you have it. That is to know from both of us, um, on women of the verge of a nervous breakdown, but we both think that another our film should be in there. We go with Talk to Her, but of course, as always, we want to know what you think. Have you seen Women on the Verge of a Nervous Breakdown? Where does this rank in terms of your own personal Pedro Amoldovar rankings? We'd love to know. So please find us on Facebook and on Twitter. Hit us up. Um, and this was a this was a Patreon pick. So if you would like to pick a film that we do an episode on. Just go to patreon.com slash a thousand one by one. Join up three to five bucks a month and you can pick a film that we talk about on the show. Um, you can listen to us on Spotify and Stitcher, Google Play, all those great places. Sorry, I, I thought were you going to say something.
1: Oh, I was just going to give Jorge oh. another shout out. and Just a thank you for picking this movie, man. Yeah, I don't. Absolutely. I don't. Again, it's another one. I, I'm, I'm sorry that I didn't like it all that much, but I definitely don't regret watching it.
0: No, I don't either. And it really... I. The Almodovar discussion was was great, and I was actually yeah. I was ex- I was excited about the overall discussion because the other two of his I watched this week I, I thoroughly enjoyed. Yeah, if thoroughly for no enjoyed. other
1: reason, it got me to watch a whole bunch of his stuff this week.
0: Well, and that's a great that's a great segue into talking about next week because we are doing I think our our final definitive director ranking of the year. Uh, we are doing our first female director. Um, I think uh, I can't speak for you, but I know I've been slowly chipping away at watching them. Um, I, 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 I'm a little, I'm a little behind. I've only done one so far. I, I've, I've seen, <laughs> I've done, I've done three, and two of them were, two of them were new. And I, I, this is, this will be, this will be a fun chat. I will say. Yeah, no,
1: I, I, well, the, I, to uh, beat around the bush a little bit more. I, I watched her very first film, which I had not seen before. It was very, very, very interesting directorial debut. Yeah. I'm very excited I, to talk about it. Me too. Me
0: too. Uh, But until our mysterious next episode, uh, I am Adam. And I am Ian. And we will see you next week.